Well, good morning, church. Come on, who's excited to be in the house of the Lord today? Anybody? Come on. Yeah, man, I love it. I love it. If you're joining us online as well, just throw that in the chat. If you're excited to be here worshiping with us, throw that in the chat. You know, I'm so excited and so blessed to be able to speak to you all this morning. Um, we just wrapped up our six-week Secrets of Spiritual Growth series. Pastor Martin, it's all based on his book. Um, and honestly, if you missed it, you're going to want to check it out. It's a great series, just exploring growing deeper in your faith, going deeper in, in your faith with God. And we have a book available. I believe it's still at the info desk or on Amazon, so check that out. But we just wrapped that up, and next week, we're going to be launching our Advent series, Looking Forward to Christmas. Anybody excited about Christmas in the room? Come on. Come on. My wife's a Christmas fanatic. I'm not there yet, but come on. But this week, this week, I am so excited to be able to share with you guys a message that God has put on my heart. And, you know, I was asked about a month ago to, to speak on this Sunday, and and when I was asked, I went through my whole process of, of preparing a message. And for a couple of weeks, I was just praying and asking God, like, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? And I really wasn't getting a response. So I started also looking through my, like, sermon ideas notes because often when I'm reading the Bible or spending time with God, he'll speak to me and give me a word for, for the church. And I was looking through everything, and, and nothing really was, was clicking. And finally, about two weeks ago on, on a Tuesday, I was driving home from work. I had the radio on, and I was like, God... When I get home, we're going to hammer this out. Like, I'm just going to, I'm going to put on worship music. I'm going to pray. We're going to be, I'm going to be very intentional. And God, I just, I, I pray right now, Lord, that you will just give me the words you want to say. And as I was driving, I just felt the spirit of the Lord come upon me. And, and I was like, I quickly shut off the radio. I'm like, God, what do you have for me? And, and God gave me in that moment, he gave me this message out of, out of Matthew 7. You see, Matthew 7, it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now, I don't know about you, but I love this verse because it paints this beautiful picture of expectation of what God's going to do in each of our lives. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Like, if I need something, I just need to ask. But as I was preparing this message, I kept getting struck by this thought, and maybe you've thought this before when you've read this verse, or maybe you're thinking it now, um, but this thought of what happens when we do ask and God doesn't answer? What happens when we do seek and we don't find? What happens when we knock and the door seems to stay shut? So I want to preach to you guys this morning on this idea of unanswered prayers. And I've called this message, the more you ask, the longer it will take. Come on. If I can get somebody, throw that in the chat right now. Turn to your neighbor if you're here in the building. The more you ask, the longer it will take. Come on. How many people heard that phrase before as a kid? Anybody in the room? A couple people? A couple people? Come on. It's like you're in the car going for a long drive. Maybe you're headed down to Calgary a couple hours or out to Jasper, Banff, up north to Fort Mac, wherever you're headed. And, and you're in the car for, for, a, for a road trip. And as you're driving, you're a kid and you, you know, get bored, right? Like, I would go on these road trips with my parents in a time before cell phones were really a thing, so there wasn't like endless entertainment at, the, at my fingertips 
it was like we had like a Game Boy. Anybody remember Game Boys back in the day? But it was like the one without the backlight. So if you're driving at night, you were hoping for like street lights just to be able to see. Come on, I know I'm aging myself right now. But, <laughs> but you're in the car and you're driving and you've been driving for a while and you start to get bored and you know, your butt starts to get sore because you're sitting and you just don't know what, you have nothing to do. And so as you're driving, your parents are driving and you're bored and you turn to them and you ask this common phrase, are we there yet? Come on, how many of you were that annoying kid? Are we there yet? How many of you are still that annoying kid right now? Come on, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Uh, my wife likes to ask that question when we're in the car rides, and I'm like, Google Maps is open right there, can't you see? Anyways, um, I digress. But are we there yet? And then as the car ride goes on and on and on, you know, kids tend to get more and more annoying and more and more bored, so they continue to ask that question. If your parents were like mine, at first they would answer the question honestly, like, oh no, we have like two hours left. But as I continued to ask the question, and my brother continued to ask the question, and they got started to get annoyed, they would often turn to this phrase, well, the more you ask, the longer it will take. And I don't know about you, but as a kid, I hated that phrase. It never made any sense. If I'm driving to Jasper, Jasper isn't getting farther away every time I ask the question. It just didn't make any sense. But, but with that phrase and the millions others like it that my parents like to use, like, watched pot never boils. Anyone hear that before? Come on, patience, donkey, patience. Hold your horses. Rome wasn't built in a day. My parents had a lot. My mom grew up in the southern states, so she had a ton of these phrases, some of which I asked her for a list of them um, when I was preparing this message, and she sent me like probably 25 different ones, and probably 15 of them. I was like, I still don't get what this means. But anyways, but, but with all these phrases, I, I think my parents were trying to teach me this idea of, of patience, trying to instill this idea of, of patience, of the reality that focusing on the distance or focusing on what I wanted but didn't have or focusing on what I couldn't have in that moment often only made the wait worse. Because you see, it's easy when you're not where you want to be in life to, to get impatient. It's easy to be impatient. And I see it all the time in my life. Like, how many of you guys have ever been impatient while driving before? Anyone in the room? Come on. How many of you have ever been actually upset at another driver's actions because they're being a stupid driver. Anyone? Come on. Okay, most of the people in the room. All right, good, good. I, uh, we can relate. That's good, that's good. It's like patience can, can rear its head in all kinds of areas of your life. Like you're driving home from work and you're on a one-lane 60-kilometer-an-hour road and you're driving, you're just happy, you're like, I'm going to be home soon, and suddenly you pull up behind somebody who's driving 40. And you're like... Why are you driving 40? <laughs> Come on. Especially with the snowfall, this has gotten really, really bad. Sometimes I'll be driving home and I'll be like, why are you driving 40? Yes, there's snow. It's on the sides of the road. The road is clear. And you know how we do. You know, you rev the engine a little bit. You get up closer behind them as if you can push them faster. And you're just like, maybe if I just get up really close, not like dangerously close, but just close enough to make them uncomfortable, maybe they'll just speed up and then suddenly they step on the brakes and you're like, why are you driving 30 in a 60 zone? And it's just, you know, and finally the road 
splits or you're able to turn, and so you step on the gas really, really harshly just to make sure your engine revs and they can hear it, and as you're passing them, maybe you flip them the one-finger salute as you go by just to show how angry you are, but it's, it's like it, it costs you actually three minutes of your, your drive home. It's, a, it's impatience. Because it's easy when you're dealing with life to be impatient. And I know that was a silly example of driving, but I've seen this time and time again in my life and in other people's lives. Like, you have no idea how many times I'll see teenagers make a decision to date somebody who's wrong for them. Where they will actually go into a relationship and they'll lower their standards because they're impatient and they want to get in a relationship. And, oh, maybe nobody else will come along. And they lower their standards and they settle for somebody who's actually just going to hurt them. They settle for somebody who won't treat them like the prince or princess that they deserve to be treated as. They settle for someone because they are impatient and they want to pull what God has for them in the future into the present. And this happens as well in our relationships, in our marriages, in, in our relationships with kids. Like, as a kid, I was, I'm sure my mom can agree to this, um, I was a demon child. I was a crazy child. And I'm sure she asked herself at different points while I was growing up, she constantly would ask herself this question of, where did I go wrong? Like, is this ever going to work out? And it's like, she, she's, it's impatience with our kids, and sometimes we just have to have patience and understanding that. Children will make mistakes and mess up, and sometimes we just need to trust that God's got a bigger plan for them. It's impatience, and, and when it comes to faith and relationship with God, it's easy when we start to pray and start to ask God for something, start to ask Him for peace or healing or help or, or, or whatever, guidance, and it's easy when He doesn't seem to answer to to get impatient, to get frustrated when nothing happens right away. And it's easy to get frustrated because sometimes when we pray, it seems like God's just not listening. And it can feel, honestly, at times like we're in a car and God's driving the car and we're in the back seat like we're a kid and we're just like, God, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And it's like he's this dad who turns around and he's like, well, the more you ask, the longer it's going to take. Just because he's not answering us. But the reality is that fortunately, God's not like our parents. God's not that way. He's not up in heaven and every time we pray, he's like, well, I was going to give it to you next week. But since you asked for it again, maybe we'll revisit it in a month. No, that's not what God says. Rather, Matthew 7, Jesus tells us, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. But it's this strange conundrum. Because Jesus is telling us that if we need something, we just need to ask. You need peace? Just ask. You need patience? Just ask. You need healing? Just ask. You need guidance? Just ask. But sometimes it can feel difficult because often when we ask, it can feel like God isn't listening. And in those moments where we're waiting for God to answer, you can start to wonder, well, is God actually listening? Does God actually care? See, for me, growing up, I, I grew up in a Christian home, and um, I always grew up around people who prayed powerful prayers, and oftentimes those prayers were answered. Like, as a kid, I saw so many prayers answered throughout my, my um, 
childhood years, my teenage years, I saw so many people get healed miraculously, so many prayers, just simple things get answered. And, and I actually had often had when I'd pray, God would actually answer my prayer. But I always wondered this, this question of, well, when my prayer isn't answered, like, what's going on there? Like, is it because it's something I said? Is it me? Did, did I not pray well enough? Did God just not want to listen to me? Is God just ignoring me because I'm not praying well enough? Because it says, the Bible says, ask and you'll receive. That's a cause and effect relationship. Cause is ask. Effect is receive. So if I don't receive, then that must mean that I'm not asking right, right? But what I've come to realize growing up and getting more experience and life experiences that sometimes when we pray, God may not answer because what if God's answer to your prayer is different than you may expect? So there's a story in Genesis, in Genesis 37, about a boy named Joseph. And the story goes that Joseph was the youngest son of 13 boys in this family. So you had Joseph's parents and then 12 older brothers excluding the sisters, and then Joseph. And so Joseph is the youngest child in this family, but the Bible tells us that Joseph's father, uh, well, he loved him more than the rest. Which, if you think about it, if you're Joseph, that's a pretty sweet deal, right? But if you're one of the older brothers, that really sucks. Um, but Joseph, he's, he's loved by his father, loved by his father more than his father loves anyone else. And the Bible also tells us that Joseph is this gifted boy tells us that God has given him this prophetic ability to um, receive dreams and to interpret dreams. And from the two dreams that we find in Genesis 37, we see Joseph actually has this leadership calling on his life. We, he has these two dreams where his family is represented in the stars and his family is represented in these like bundles of grain. And in these dreams, all of the bundles of grain bow down before him and all of the sun, the moon, and the stars all bow down bow down before him. He has this leadership calling on his life. So he's loved, he's gifted, and he's called. And his brothers, well, you know, older brothers, they were, they were jealous. And so one day Joseph is out in the field. Well, his brothers are out in the field, and Joseph comes out to them, and as he approaches, his brother's like, let's kill him. Let's just, let's just kill him. Let's get rid of him. We don't like him. Our father does, but we can just blame it on the lions. Let, let's kill him. And one of them is like, well, for, uh, let's not actually kill him. Instead, let's throw him in this pit. Like, that's a better alternative, apparently. And, and so they take Joseph, and, and they throw him in this pit, and then they go off for lunch. And as they're off for lunch, they see this caravan of slavers come by, and they're like, hey, well, we wanted to kill Joseph. Why don't we just get rid of him? Why don't we just make some money off of him? And so they sell him to these slavers, and and Joseph, the Bible tells us, he was 17 years old at this time. Joseph goes from being in a loving family, gifted by God, and called by God to lead, to being betrayed by his family, sold into slavery, and being in a place that he did not expect to be in. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 39, verse 1, it says, Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh bought him. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. His master saw that the Lord was with him, so Joseph found favor in his sight. He made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Hold up there for a second. 
because I think you missed it. Because it said, right off the bat, it said, Joseph was taken to Egypt and he was made a slave. He was sold to Potiphar. But the Lord was with Joseph. See, Joseph, he went from being favored in his father's house to being a slave in Egypt. But despite that, God was with him. See, the reality is no matter what your situation is, no matter what the prayers you're praying are, no matter if it feels like God is present and he cares about you or God is just ignoring you entirely, the reality is despite your circumstances, God is with you. And the Bible tells us that he will never leave you nor forsake you. So we need to recognize that even when it feels like God is ignoring us and ignoring our prayers, even when you're in the valley of the shadow of death and you just don't know what to do, God is with you. And then Joseph, well, Joseph's story really is a a story of how bad things tend to happen to good people. Because Joseph is this gifted, called person, but bad things continue to happen. Joseph, it says, he's in this household, and he's serving Potiphar faithfully, and Potiphar raises him up and puts him over the house, and he's doing all these incredible things, but it says that, the Bible says that he was a handsome man, and Potiphar's wife was apparently a bit of a cougar, and she was like, ooh, Joseph. And so she starts to go after Joseph, and she starts chasing him, and he's like, no, 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 this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, I'm not going to sleep with you, I'm not going to do that. And finally, she traps him in a corner, and he bolts, and she grabs at his cloak, and then accuses him of trying to rape her. In Genesis 39, 20, it says, and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison. Bad things happening to good people. Joseph being accused for something that he didn't do. But the Lord was with Joseph. From the prison, you can only imagine the prayers he's probably praying. From slavery, you can only imagine the kind of prayers he's praying. The Bible doesn't actually record them, but, but we know that Joseph and God had this connection. Joseph would hear from God and be able to interpret dreams because of this gifting that God gave. And you can only imagine the things that Joseph is wishing for. Wishing for freedom, praying for freedom, praying to just be back home with his parents. But what's really telling is in the prison, after being sold into slavery, after being wrongly accused and thrown in prison, from the prison, the Bible doesn't tell us that Joseph just gives up doesn't tell us that he goes and sits in the corner and throws a temper tantrum and is just like, I'm done. No, rather, the Bible tells us that in prison, Joseph worked hard. He worked hard. He earned the trust of the jailer to the point that the jailer was just like, if I give something to Joseph, it's handled. I don't need to worry about it again. And Joseph, he builds trust with the jailer. He builds trust with the prisoners. And over time, he interprets the dreams of these two prisoners. And one of them gets out and gets killed immediately. And the other one gets out and gets reinstated as the cupbearer of Pharaoh. And then three years later, Joseph is still in prison. And Pharaoh has this dream. This dream warning him of this coming famine. But Pharaoh doesn't understand the dream. And he calls together all of these wise people. And none of them understand the meaning of the dream. And the cupbearer is like, hey, I remember this guy. I remember this guy. It's Joseph. And Joseph, because he'd been sold into slavery and because he'd been wrongfully accused, he had ended up in, in this prison where he'd met this cupbearer and he'd been able to interpret this cupbearer's dreams. And then when Pharaoh had a dream, the king of Egypt had a dream, this cupbearer would be like, hey, I know a guy who could help. And suddenly, 13 years after Joseph was sold into slavery. He comes to Pharaoh 
He interprets this dream, warning him that in seven years' time, a famine is coming, and that to save the nation, they were going to have to plan ahead. After 13 years of slavery and being in prison, Joseph is instated as the number two guy in all of Egypt. And because of that, he is able to save the nation of Egypt and the surrounding areas from this famine. And Joseph, well, he prayed, but, and his prayers were answered, but just not in the way he expected. See, when Jesus said, ask and you will receive, he wasn't actually giving us a magic formula for self-gratification. He wasn't saying, well, if you ask for a Lamborghini, it's going to show up in your driveway tomorrow. No, actually, another translation, the Amplified Version, it, says, it puts it this way. It says, ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. It's this idea of perseverance, of trusting in God, of pursuing God, of waiting on God. And in that moment, Jesus was using these absolute terms to emphasize this idea that we have to be willing to trust in God's goodness and in his willingness to answer us, even when he seems silent. Because you see, God's not a father who says, well, the more you ask, the longer it's going to take. He's a, he's a good father who, when we ask for a gift, he's not going to give us a snake. When we ask for bread, he's not going to give us a stone. He's a good father who's in heaven and he's saying, well, I want to bless you so, so much. Sometimes you just have to wait. So when we pray and, and God doesn't seem to answer, well, what, what should we do? I've got three things for you. First thing is this, when, when we pray and God seems to be ignoring us, we need to learn to trust. We need to learn to trust. See, so often when we pray, it's easy to get tempted to think that Jesus is just like a vending machine. It's like, insert my prayer here, type in my request, boom, answered prayer down at the bottom. But that's often not how Jesus works. Because often when we pray, we actually pray for the wrong thing. And if we just wait on God to answer our prayer for a Lamborghini, well, maybe he'll ever eventually answer it, but maybe he won't. Sometimes when we pray, we expect an immediate answer, but we're actually praying for the wrong thing. See, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he told them this. He said, pray this way. Father, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, right off the bat, Jesus is telling his disciples, when you pray, put God first. Before you start asking God, I need this, I need bread, I need forgiveness, I need help, God, make a way for in this situation. He says, before you do that, pray like this, your will be done. See, part of praying is putting aside what we want, putting aside what we desire and saying to God, well, I'm going to tell you what I need. I'm going to tell you what I want, but I trust you. I trust you. See, there's this cool verse in uh, Matthew 26 where, where Jesus, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's on his way to die a brutal death on the cross. He's on his way to getting betrayed, to getting beaten, to getting um, whipped, to getting nailed to a cross because of our sin. He's on his way to die for our sins. And in this garden, he goes out, off on his own. He leaves his disciples behind, and he just starts to pray. And in this garden, he says, My Father, if it is possible, get me out of this. God, this situation is brutal. I don't want to face it. I don't want to 
to deal with it. I don't want to go through with this because this is going to suck. Yet, let your will be done, not mine. See, we need to get to a place in our prayers where we're willing to pray like Jesus. God, I need this. God, I need this. God, please restore my family, but your will be done. I trust you. Instead of praying a wish list to God of all of the things that we'd like to see him do, saying, well, God, you know I need help with my finances. Please provide a way, but I trust you. God, I know you, you know I need restoration in my family, but let your will be done. I trust you. God, you know the struggles of, of marriage and of kids and all of these frustrations that I have, and I just wish you would take them all away, but I trust you. Let your will be done. We need to learn to trust, even when God seems to be ignoring us. So that's number one, learn to trust. Number two is this, learn to work. See, oftentimes, when God answers our prayers, he wants to partner with us in answering our prayers. See, the reality is God is powerful. And sometimes when we pray, in a moment, everything will be fixed. Sometimes when we pray, healing will happen in an instant. A miracle will happen in our lives. And we've seen it time and time and time again here at this church and all over where people will come down to the front and will lay hands on them and will pray in the name of Jesus for healing. And cancer will leave in a second. Pain will leave in a second. Broken bones will be mended in a second because God is coming through in that moment because God is powerful and, and he, can, he can do what he wants. But sometimes when we pray, that's not how it happens. And I know as a pastor, most pastors will just tell you, well, just bring all your problems down to the front. Just come and kneel at the front. We'll lay hands on you and all of your issues will be fixed. Your life will be perfect if you just come down and trust God. But often that's not how it works. Sometimes the answer you're looking for will take work. See, some some of you are struggling with a thing, a habitual pattern, an addiction that you've been trying to kick for so long and you've been praying so long, well, God, just take it away. Just take it away, please. And God's saying, well, I would love to, but if I just take it away, you're not going to learn the, the ways to fight it. When temptation comes again, you're just going to go right back to that thing. If you really want to be free, you're going to have to put in some work. If you really want to be free, you're going to have to go see that counselor. You're going to go ha have to go get that professional help. You're going to have to go meet with somebody and put in the work. See, Joseph, he's in slavery. He's in the prison, but he didn't pout. He didn't give up. He didn't get mad at God. Rather, Genesis 39, it says, um, his master saw that the Lord was with him. This is while he was in slavery. So Joseph found favor in his sight. He made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Joseph had to work. Joseph had to work. And through that work, God blessed him with more work. It's a really fun situation where Joseph is blessed and God's like, okay, Here's more work. Here's more responsibility. But, but through that situation, God blessed him and raised him up to be second in command of all of Egypt. And through that whole situation, God was able to answer the prayers, not only of Joseph, but the prayers of the nation of Egypt that Egypt had not yet even been praying. God was able to save them from a famine that they didn't even expect was coming. Joseph had to work. See, often when 
we pray for money, God will give us a job. Sometimes when we pray for money, God will we'll, we'll just find, you'll, you'll get an influx of cash. You'll, money will come out of pl- unexpected places. But sometimes when you pray, God, I need help with finances, I need help with money, he'll help you get a job. Sometimes when we pray for business advice, he'll speak to us directly and be like, you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this, and that'll be the best thing for your business. But sometimes he sends someone along to mentor us, to be there alongside of us. Sometimes when we pray, God, you see that family, they're struggling, I just pray that you'll bless them. Sometimes he'll bless them, but sometimes he'll be like, hey, I've blessed you. I've blessed you so that you can be a blessing to them. Sometimes it's going to take work. Because sometimes God wants to partner with us in answering our prayers and in answering other people's prayers. And again, this is not to say that God is not going to supernaturally intervene in your situation because he does, and we've seen it time and time again at this church. But often when God answers prayers, he wants to partner with his children. It's going to take work. So number one, you need to learn to trust. In the waiting, when prayers are unanswered, you need to learn to trust God despite the wait. Number two, you need to learn to work despite what's going on, even when it seems pointless. Number three, we need to learn to wait. See, the reality is Joseph suffered for a season, but God restored him. It took him 13 years to get out of slavery, to get out of the prison, to get where God was calling him to go. It took years of him working, proving himself, doing his best, to doing the right things, trying to, to succeed, trying to get ahead, trying to get out of the situation, and still having bad things happening to him. But God was just positioning him for something greater than he could ever imagine. See, the reality is sometimes we will suffer in life. That's just the reality. James 1 says, consider it great joy when you encounter suffering. Like, what a horrible verse. (laughs) Sometimes we will suffer in life because of our bad decisions. Sometimes we'll suffer in life because of others' bad decisions, where somebody will harm you, will hurt you, and you have to suffer with the consequences of those decisions. Sometimes we'll suffer just because the reality of the world we live in is we live in a fallen world. Bad things happen. Natural disasters happen. Diseases happen. COVID happens. Sometimes we have to suffer through those things. But we need to realize that even when bad things happen, God is still with us. And Romans 8, 28, it, it, it says this way. It says, this amazing promise of we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Just because something doesn't look good right now doesn't mean that's it doesn't mean that God's going to abandon you in slavery. doesn't mean that God's just ignoring you and doesn't care for you. No, he's got a plan for you. He's got a way out for you. He's got a plan to prosper you and give you hope and a future. A plan to bring good into your life, to work every bad situation for your good. So we need to accept that bad things will happen in our lives. Bad things are just going to happen in our lives sometimes. Yet God is still good. And in the midst of those bad things, we need to 
be willing to wait for God to answer. Because we know the promise he has for us. The promise that he's going to work all things for our good. See, sometimes when you pray, you have to wait. Sometimes when you pray, you have to be willing to trust God, despite how it may seem. Sometimes when you pray, you have to be willing to put in the work, even when it seems pointless. And sometimes when you pray, you have to be willing to wait for the answer. To be willing to wait for God. If I could get the band to come up right now. See, the reality is God's not the Father in heaven saying, well, the more you ask, the longer it's going to take. He's the Father in heaven saying, well, I know the bad things that have happened to you. I know the things you're struggling with. I know the prayers you're praying. I know everything that's going on in your life. And I know that you want me to just take it all away. I know you just want me to answer this, these prayers. But if you're willing to wait, if you're willing to trust me, even when it's tough, if you're willing to put in the work to partner with me, to continue to keep praying these prayers, even when they seem pointless, if you're willing to trust me, to wait on me, and to work with me, I've got something incredible in store for your life. So wherever you're at this morning, whether you're joining us in person or, or you're joining us online, on our online campus, whether you're here in You've been praying a prayer for a long time and you're still waiting for God to answer or, or you're trying to struggle through an issue on your own. Whether you're here and you feel distant from God, like he's abandoned you or he's never spoken to you or he never has cared about you or, or you feel really close to God in this moment. Whether you're here and you're, you're facing a problem and you know you need help and you're praying, God, help me, or you've just given up. So you're like, it's pointless. It's important that we come to the realization that no matter what, no matter what we pray, no matter if God seems to be answering or not, the reality is God is with us. God is with you. He's got your back. And the promise we see in Scripture is asking you will receive. Sometimes that just means waiting on what you're going to receive. And the promise we see in Scripture is that God will work everything together for our good. If you're willing to wait, if you're willing to work, and you're willing to trust, it's coming. It's coming. So wherever you're at in your life, I just want us to close in prayer together. So if I can get everyone to stand together right now, I've got a prayer that I want us all to pray together as a community. And as we pray this prayer together, I just want to encourage you to mean what you're saying. Don't just pray this prayer because, you know, peer pressure and all everyone else is saying it, so maybe I should say it. But actually say it and, and mean it. Actually mean what you're saying. Actually choose to trust God despite the situation, despite how it looks. To choose to wait for God to answer even when it's tough. So let's pray this prayer together. Father God, you know the struggle of my heart. You know the problems I'm facing. You know that I've been waiting for an answer. But Father, despite all of that, I choose to put my trust in you. To trust that even though I don't see it, you are working to trust that even though I may not feel it, 
you are doing something in my life. To trust that no matter what, you are working all things together for my good. And God, I will do whatever it takes in the meantime to trust you, to work with you, and to wait on you because I know that you will answer my prayer. Amen. Father God, I just pray over this amazing group of people, people tuning in online, the people here in person, God, all of these amazing children of yours who you love and you care for and you are there for no matter what. And God, I just pray in this moment, Lord, that you will reinforce this reality, that you will reinforce in our hearts this reality that no matter what, you are working all things for our good. God, that you will reinforce the reality that despite our circumstances, despite a pandemic, despite COVID, we don't need to live in fear because you have promised that you will work everything together for our good. God, I just pray that as we go into our week and we go into our month and as we go through this week, Lord, that you'll just be reminding us that even as we pray, you are there for us, you care for us, and even when we wait, that doesn't mean you've abandoned us, but rather you love us and you will work with us to answer our prayers. Father God, I just pray this in your holy, holy name. And everyone said, amen, amen.